Okay, so welcome back to the Doggy Podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the very basics of Fear Free. And we have three main guests. The first one is Sid, who is a dog trainer. Then we have Hiroko, who is a very nice lady, and she is a dog groomer. And then we have my mom, who has researched this stuff quite a lot and has learned a lot from Sid and Hiroko. So, please enjoy! Okay, so what inspired you to adopt a fear-free standing? I just felt it was the right thing to do. And I was always having this view in my mind before I met fear-free. It is important to me because it maintains the balance of my mind. So one person, um, Ian Dunbar, and I was actually working with a guy doing dog training, didn't know, I came from, I wasn't educated, certified, didn't, I had a very limited, a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of knowledge of the science of behavior, Um, but it didn't feel good, you know, what I was doing. And I went to a conference or I went to a lecture and listened to a man named Dr. Ian Dunbar, um, a behaviorist dog trainer, uh, talk. And it was all about this early socialization. And it was, it was like a light bulb moment. It was just full change. Like I, where I learned, it was like, Oh, this resonates. This makes so much sense. So it was him. It was listening to him talk. And then I just, just made a full change to, I want to, I want to focus on helping people understand this early stage of development and, um, and learn how to, you know, raise puppies, healthy, happy puppies. Uh, and then the fear free, the, the actual fear free certification came a little bit later, but, um, uh, just in keeping with everything that is important to me, you know, just, uh, science-based, humane, um, the emotional state of the animal. Can you tell me a time where you saw a huge notable success? I actually have many times where I saw unspeakable moments with Fear Free. Corner is definitely one of them, your puppy. Mm -hmm. And when I saw her lay down tip to toe during a session, I noticed that it was the moment she completely trusted and it felt safe to show her belly and relax compared to how she reacted to myself at the very first visit. Gaining trust from an animal or person is an incredibly rewarding moment for me. Do you believe that there is a time fear for you will not work? Yeah, so that's actually, that's a really, that's a good question. So the answer is no, it's not like fear free wouldn't work, but there are situations where it's like life or death. This needs to happen. This has to happen. And so, for example, there's ways to, you know, it's like if you really need to, um, you know, administer ear medication. So you're working away on the mad and you've got, you know, this is the snapshot in Kona's mind about what it looks like when we're working away at our handling and we're going slow and this is a good place to be and you can trust what's going to happen. But now we've got an ear infection and we need to get uh, drops in an ear. Well, we can, we can tell that we can give that dog some kind of a warning cue, like 
sorry, this is going to happen. I'm going to gently pick you up. I'm going to do a gentle restraint. We're going to get those eardrops in. We're going to not do it anywhere near that mat that we work on. Um, so, so the answer does fear free not work? No, we can always work away at, um, another thing is it's goodwill and it's trust, right? So we've got that massive amount of trust in our trust account so that when we have to do a little gentle restraint to get a little something done, we've got a huge account. Yeah, we're taking a bit out. We can build it back up versus yeah. starting in the red, right? Yeah. So, so it always works. Sometimes we need to do things um, because we've got to get it done or it's an emergency and we can't make, you know, we just have to get it done. And in which case, hopefully we've got that goodwill there. And if not, we can, we can, we can build it up afterwards. Yeah. How do you go about getting fear-free certified? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. Go to the fear-free website, fearfree.com. And there's all, and you can just follow the prompts on the website and you, uh, if you are a vet or a vet tech or a groomer, I think they have them for daycares now, a dog trainer, just all the different you know professions associated with animals. And you enroll and you go, it's an online course that you go through and, uh, um, and test and test your knowledge and you have to you know, get a certain amount and you pass and you're um, certified. And then you maintain your, um, you know, just staying current and evolving through um, different uh, webinars or other instruction, you know, just that continued, <laughs> continued education. Yeah. yeah. But it, so it's, um, it's not, it's not hard. Yeah. Why should we take our dogs for a walk? Well, walks can be an opportunity for lots of enriching activities for dogs. So, you know, for dogs, their sense of smell is probably their most important sense. And when you go for a walk, there are just so many smells for them to explore, especially if you have your dog on a long line and let them explore into bushes and through the grass and all sorts of strange and unusual places. So uh, for our walks, sometimes we don't even follow the path and sometimes we don't get very far because Kona will get onto a smell or something that she finds really interesting. So for us, it's about having an enriching walk where Kona gets to explore and smell things that are exciting to her. What is enrichment for dogs? I think enrichment is just all about things that are really um, stimulating in a positive way for the dog. So just like it's really stimulating for me to sit down and read a book or, you know, that really gets my brain going and makes me feel good for Kona. It's things like sniffing, um, you know, going out on walks and sniffing and exploring different things. It can be digging for some dogs. It can be finding things hidden underneath, you know, piles of paper. It can be ripping paper apart. It can be trying to get toys or or food rather out of like a Kong or a a stuffed toy. All of those things um, draw upon a dog's natural instincts and work their brain, uh, work their nose and um, 
are really a positive, good experience. So those are enriching experiences. What would you say is the difference between cues and commands? We learned about this uh, from Sid. So I had always heard the term command, and I think that's more conventional. Um, But what Sid taught us is that we should think about it as a cue. So we're just prompting Kona um, to do something. And if she does it, we'll give her a reward. But we're not dominating her and commanding her to do something. And if she doesn't do it, there'll be a negative consequence. So it's really kind of all about that fear-free notion that you're a partner um, with your dog and um, you want to suggest things to them and not dominate over them. Do you think it's okay for dogs to go onto the couch or bed? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's, I think the dog, is it from the dog standpoint, um, they tend to enjoy being elevated and on soft surfaces. So, well, I shouldn't say that not all dogs, because some dogs get hot and they want to be on cold floor. So, um, I think again, there's this misconception that if you, holy smokes, (laughs) if you, (laughs) the headband, if you let your dog on the couch or the bed, then they're going to dominate you. So, uh, absolutely, um, rubbish. Of course you can let your dog on the bed and the couch and they would probably like to cuddle and hang out there. So, but again, it's personal because some people don't want, um, uh, you know, dog hair on their couch or their bed and yeah, yeah, but where, what is cooperative care? Cooperative care is all about making sure that your dog is a willing participant and some of the things that um, you might need to do, like clean their eyes, uh, brush their fur, check their ears, brush their teeth, trim their nails. Those are things that dogs don't really love doing, but we don't want to do it to them by force. So cooperative care is about inviting them to enter into a space where they're going to participate in that cooperative care. And should they choose to leave the space, then that's them exerting their right to say, I don't want to do this now. And that's okay. And we need to respect that. Where do you stand in positions for a harness or collar approach for taking your dog on a walk? Um, Sid's told us that the better plan is to use a harness rather than a collar. Um, The problem with a collar is it goes right around their neck and their windpipe. So if they pull on it, let's say they do try to chase that bunny and they hit the end of their leash, it's really going to pull hard against their windpipe and it could actually cause some serious physical damage. The nice thing about a harness is if she runs and hits the end of that line, that harness is attached to her chest and shoulder area, yeah. which can better take the impact type of an impact. And so it's less likely to cause her physical harm. What do you think about shock collars, choke collars, that kind of stuff? Okay, shock collars, never, never, ever. It damages the dog's behavior and it creates anxiety behavior issues based on recent science studies. Lots of negative effects. 
Okay, and that has been that for right now. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you're going to get a dog, try and save your free for the dog's best interest. And that's all. Thank you again for watching and hearing out what the professionals have to say. And the people who have done this before where it works. Because, unfortunately, the mainstream method doesn't work. In fact, it harms your dog in the long run. So thank you again.